Long History, Francis Drake's Voyage About the World, Top 10 Surprises. Hello everyone and welcome to this Top 10 Surprises. In this episode of Long History we'll look at Francis Drake's Voyage About the World and I've just gone through the document quickly and picked out the things that most stood out to me. In this way putting together a slightly different analysis of the document, one which includes my impressions as I read through it. So we've got a number of these surprises episodes now. And if you've listened to any of those, you'll know that really I'm using the word surprises very loosely. It's just things that stood out. So here we go with Francis Drake's Voyage About the World, Top 10 Surprises. So there's not much order to these surprises. I've basically just um, thought of them and put them down on paper and then tried to structure them so that they flow and make sense a bit. But for example, the first surprise I've called The Leaps. And this first surprise is just by way of introduction, really. When I say the leaps, I mean that this document does jump around a lot. Now, its authorship is a bit unclear. It says it's from the notes of Master Francis Fletcher. But I do wonder if other people had input as well, because, for example, the contrast between when they round the Magellan Straits and it's all doom and gloom and storms, and then they go up the Chilean coast, and there's kind of a weird sense of humour in the document. And then it changes again, the, the sarcasm disappears when they reach California and then cross over to Ternate. And that's followed by the rest of the document. And in thinking about this document, I can see there is a number of reasons which could explain these leaps. And I'll perhaps go through those reasons as I go through the rest of this episode. But that's the first surprise, the most general one, which is the leaps, the changes in tone throughout the document. And that links to the second surprise because one of those leaps takes place on the journey from Lima to Oregon. And it sort of goes by unnoticed precisely because it's one of these leaps. But this long part of the journey, which covers all of the north of South America, then Central America and up into Mexico, and then further up into today's United States, you'd think there'd be lots to tell. And whoever wrote this document certainly did go into detail when they rounded the Magellan Strait, and the detail comes back in when they reach California. But this long journey is glossed over in one episode. And I remember the first time I read it and I saw Guayaquil was mentioned, then Panama, and then uh, Guatulco in Mexico. And I kind of thought, hang on, <laughs> this is going very quickly now, considering we've just had three, was it three episodes all on the Magellan Strait? And there clearly were events, there was some piracy took place, there was a big earthquake as well noted, but it's all kind of dashed off in one episode. So that's the second surprise, that this big part of the journey seems to have been glossed over in so few words, and it was all wrapped up in episode 12. And that's followed by another surprising event, and a question that's still open really, which is what happened in Oregon? Drake and his crew reach further and further north, and as I say there's a surprise that they sort of cross the equator, go north through Central America, Mexico, etc, then reach somewhere that it, where it's suddenly very cold. And this clearly surprises Drake himself. He says, for example, in episode 13, Notwithstanding it was the height of summer, and so near the sun, yet where we continually visited with like nipping colds as we had felt before. Now I haven't been to Oregon and don't know much about it, but I, I think even today this description of the weather seems to be odd, that it should be so terrible in the middle of summer. And it does go into quite specific detail about the kind of Pacific fogs that reach inland. But this whole event is rather curious how they so quickly go up the western coast of the Americas and then suddenly come to a halt when they reach Oregon. And thinking about it, I suppose we can explain the, the, the brevity of the journey up to Oregon by the fact that these are Spanish lands, so they don't want to hang around too much. But even so, that sudden onset of cold is rather strange. So that's the third surprise, that open question of what happened exactly in Oregon. Why did this cold suddenly descend? 
The fourth surprise I've called Spanish Contradictions, and it's possibly summarised in this quotation from episode 10, which takes place when they've just been attacked by a group of local people. And the writer of the document laments, They had done this injury, not to an enemy, but to a friend, not to a Spaniard, but to an Englishman, who would rather have been a patron to defend them than any way an instrument of the least wrong that should have been done unto them. So the enmity between the Spanish and the English is made explicit at this point, and the English hatred of the Spaniards as they go up the Chilean coast is made clear in the following quotation, again from episode 10, where they talk about a friendly local person. In him we might see a most lively pattern of the harmless disposition of that people, and how grievous a thing it is that they should by any means be so abused as all those are, whom the Spaniards have any command or power over. So the document's writer refers to the terrible reputation of the Spanish in the, in the area. So we can assume from these quotes that the English hate the Spanish and that's the end of the story. However, the surprise here is the Spanish contradictions because the um, Drake and his crew have no qualms about going into the uh, port of Valparaíso. He describes Santiago, so presumably he went into Santiago de Chile. And um, he also goes up to um, Lima as well. And the writer of the document is quite scathing about Lima, but they still go there and they seem to be able to trade just as they want and to get all the supplies that they need. Here, for example, again in episode 10, the writer of the document says, There was no good thing which the place afforded, or which our necessities indeed for the present required, but we had the same in great abundance. So it's a rather convoluted double negative there. But the quotation basically says, Everything that we wanted, we could have. So why do the English hate the Spaniards so much but then are able to trade in these cities so openly? It's, it's an odd contradiction and a, a surprise. Mm, and surprise number five is an odd one. I've been trying to establish Drake's personality from this document and I find that there's not much to discover there. So the surprise is that Drake appears to have very little or no personality in this document. Now, having set myself that question, though, I did look for glimpses of her personality, and they are there. In episode 9, as they round the Magellan Strait, he calls some islands the Elizabethades, and is kind of makes quite explicit his loyalty to the Queen, something which is repeated in episode 15, when he's in California. And I've got a quotation here. Our general caused to be set up a monument of our being there, and also have her majesty's and successor's rights and title to that kingdom, namely a plate of brass. So if we can count that as personality, we can see Drake's loyalty to the Queen there, and that he knows that he's in charge. And another example of that sense of being in charge is given with Drake's reaction to the mutineer, where it's made clear that everyone liked this mutineer, and Drake appeared to see him as a friend, and quite lamented the fact that eventually they had to put him to death. But certainly you can see that friendship, but the necessity to follow duty, as it were, is another sign of personality. And another aspect of that leadership quality is given in episode 12. This is when they have that strange moment in Oregon where it gets very cold. And the following quotation, Yet would not our general be discouraged, but as well by comfortable speeches of the divine providence and of God's loving care over his children out of the scriptures, and also by other good and profitable persuasions, adding thereto his own cheerful example, he so stirred them up to put on a good courage and to quit themselves like men. So again, I'm really having to look for something there. But this at least is another sign of Drake's leadership qualities. He wants the men to see themselves as men, which is a sign again of a bit of personality there. And the last thing that adds to these layers of personality is the piracy that takes place. 
This part of the document all seems to turn into a bit of a romp between the cold of the Magellan Strait and the cold of Oregon. And I suppose you can interpret it in many ways, but the humour of this, the attempts at humour in the document, are very strange and do show an ex example of this personality from Drake. He did allow this, after all, even if he didn't write, he isn't the person who wrote this document. So this lack of details about Drake's personality is the next surprise, but it's something that I also looked at with Columbus and Magellan, so perhaps it isn't surprising after all. These are the stars of the show and we don't need to scratch beneath the surface too much, perhaps. But that leads to the next surprise, which is that the writer of this document does seem to have a bit of a personality. So we're not entirely clear who did write the document. Again, I've said it's uh, Francis Fletcher. From the notes of Francis Fletcher, it says. But in episode 12, I've got the following quotation. But as the Pope and anti-Christian bishops labour by their wicked factors with tooth and nail to deface the glory of God and to shut up in darkness the light of the gospel... So God doth not suffer his name and religion to be altogether without witness to the reproving both of his false and damnable doctrine as also crying out against his unmeasurable and abominable licentiousness of the flesh, even in these parts. So Master Francis Fletcher is said to be a preacher on um, Drake's um, ship and it makes sense that a preacher would write these kinds of words, these impassioned words against the Catholics. So we can see there quite a fierce personality, a fierce condemnation of life in Lima. But we have another quotation here. We departed from the coast of America for the present, but not forgetting, before we gate a shipboard, to take with us also a certain pot, of about a bushel in bigness, full of royals of plate, which we found in the town, together with a chain of gold and some other jewels, which we entreated a gentleman Spaniard to leave behind him, as he was flying out of town. Now apologies if I take too much pleasure in reading out these sarcastic lines. But this is in the same episode, episode 12, so it's within a few sentences of that previous condemnation of the Catholics. Here we have that weird, sarcastic sense of humour when they're stealing from the Spanish. Which kind of makes me wonder, has the same person written these two passages? Such a moral person in the first one, and then someone who's revelling in this stealing in the second one. But either way, we can see that whereas Drake himself doesn't seem to have much of a personality in this document... We can see the writer of the document, or perhaps writers, do show glimpses of personality. It's very odd. And it's also surprise number six. Now, Francis Drake's voyage began in 1577, if I remember rightly. And Columbus's first voyage across the Atlantic took place in 1492, began in 1492. So that's 70 or 80 years between the two voyages. And surprise number seven is how the journey across the Atlantic is no longer treated as that much of a big deal. The document does give a few paragraphs about the journey across the Atlantic, but it does sum it up rather quickly in this sentence here. Having thus visited, as it declared, the islands of Cape Verde, and provided fresh water as we could, the 2nd of February we departed thence, directing our course towards the Straits, so to pass into the South Sea, in which course we sailed 63 days without sight of land, passing the line equinoctial the 17th day of the same month, so we fell with the coast of Brazil the 5th of April following. So it's interesting to note that this formerly arduous, this great event adventure across the Atlantic is now kind of summed up in one sentence. Oh yeah, it took us 63 days. Now the writer of the document does qualify that. He adds, for example, The truth is, we often met with adverse winds and welcome storms, and to us at that time less welcome calms. And being, as it were, in the bosom of the burning zone, we felt the effects of sultering heat, not without the affrights of flashing lightnings and terrifying of often claps of thunder. So whereas when Columbus crossed the Atlantic there were murmurs that um, they might never return, that they could die, 
Here the worst that happens appears to be a bit of bad weather. So it's interesting to see in episode 3 how the change in that attitude towards a voyage across the Atlantic. Right now we're on to surprise number 8 and we are leaping around a bit but this one I couldn't really ignore and it's one of the most standout events of the whole journey really and it's when this mutineer is discovered and he's offered a choice. Now we've covered this before, he can choose whether to go on land, to be abandoned on land, to return to England to be judged or to be put to death. And it's quite clear that Francis Drake gave him these three choices because he liked the man and wanted him to choose the least worst option. And everyone appears to be caught by surprise when the man considers that the worst least, least worst option is to be put to death. And they do try to persuade him to um, choose one of the other options, I've got the quotation here. Sundry reasons were used by many to persuade him to take either of the other ways, yet, when he remained resolute in his former determination, both parts of his last request were granted. Now, both parts, um, that means um, he wanted to receive the Holy Communion and um, he wanted to die a gentleman's death. So you can see no one wanted to kill him, but he chose to be killed. I suppose in a way it shows us how different the world was in those days, these attitudes kind of of honour. But if we're talking in terms of honour, it's a very strange way of looking at it, um, setting up a mutiny and then deciding to take the punishment for it. What kind of honour are you getting out of that, I suppose? I don't know. But that eighth surprise and that um, decision to be put to death takes place in episode seven. Now, leaping forward a bit to uh, when Drake arrives in California, I wanted to look in more detail at the people he meets there. Now, there's a lot happens when they're in California, but I think the ultimate thing that surprises me is how difficult those are, events are to unravel. I've got a quotation here, for example. In the meantime, the women, as if they had been desperate, used unnatural violence against themselves, crying and shrieking piteously, tearing their flesh with their nails from their cheeks in a monstrous manner, the blood streaming down along their breasts. Yet I do have another quotation here again from episode 14. Yea, they took such pleasure in our singing of psalms that whenever they resorted to us, the first request was commonly this, Gah, by which they entreated that we would sing. So we can see there a slight contradiction, but I say it's difficult to unravel because there's actually nothing surprising there. It's very typical for Europeans to describe what they see as the kind of strange habits of these people. And they always tend to describe these strange habits in terms of the worst possible scenario, shall we say. The Europeans are very modest when they describe themselves, but are happy to talk about breasts and blood and shrieking piteously when they talk about other people. And this unnatural violence, as they call it. And even in those two quotes, we can see a slight narrative developing. These barbarous people, when they hear the Psalms, become slightly more cultured. And even in those two quotes, we can see colonisation in action. And the creation of a narrative that is very convenient for the Europeans, shall we say. In the meantime, I don't think there's any single individual named in this document. Perhaps a king is named, but I can't remember. There's no sense of any real friendship being made. It's difficult to see how they could even communicate to each other, really. So Drake is busily taking these lands supposedly for the English and writing down that these people have agreed to become subjects of the Queen, if I remember rightly. I suppose the surprising thing I find here is that how hard that is to unravel. I'm only getting a sense of savages and Europeans. And it's hard to come to any constructive conclusions from the text when you're only seeing people like that. And I do have another quotation from episode 14 which perhaps explains um, the fleets, the, the Europeans' attitude towards these people. 
We groaned in spirit to see the power of Satan so far prevail in seducing these so harmless souls, and laboured by all means, both by showing our great dislike, and when that served not, by violent withholding of their hands from that madness. So I think this is uh, Drake's men trying to stop these women from um, making themselves um, tear at their cheeks. But you can see here how God and the devil comes into it. So we can see the very the great disparities in the two cultures. And it, but it, overall, for me, it's a big reminder that this is from very much from one perspective here. This document. So that's surprise number nine. Just how difficult it is to come to any conclusions about these people in the area that would eventually be known as California. This description in this document never seems to get beyond the cliches, really. So there's only one um, surprise to go, and it's the obvious one, really. I've already stated how strange it is that um, the journey along the western coast of America is dismissed in one um, episode. But that happens again when the crew return from um, the Spice Islands back home to England. It's all described in one episode. And just to give a quotation, there is a, a typical one here. The 22nd of the same month, uh, we're talking about July here, we came to Sierra Leona and spent two days for watering in the mouth of Taguin, and then put to sea again. Here also we had oysters and plenty of lemons which gave us good refreshing. Now it's nice to hear that they had lemon and oysters, it actually sounds quite like quite a good meal. But surely something else must have happened in Africa, they must have met some people, had some events. But now they just kind of get home. And it also strangely parallels the Magellan's fleet's journey around the world. I'm not sure why um, the journey from the Spice Islands to Europe is, is told in such, such a short amount of text. Perhaps it's because these lands are already claimed by various European powers or, or something. And so in the European terms of the day, perhaps nothing is discovered here. But these events took place from February the 1st to the 26th of September. That's a good six or seven months, and yet nothing, not much seems to happen besides, other than that they eat oysters and lemons in Sierra Leone. And that's the tenth and last surprise, that it only took one episode, one short episode, to describe half of the world. And so those were ten surprises in The Voyage About the World by Sir Francis Drake. A lot happened in these documents. We've also got the first description of llamas, certainly by um, English people. Many of those descriptions of California are the first time anything was written down about the, the Californian people. And we also see examples of the enmity between the Spanish and the English in, in, in action here. If this is from 1577, don't forget that in 1588 would become the kind of apotheosis of that enmity with the Spanish Armada trying to invade um, England. So I hope this analysis of Drake's document has been of some interest to you. Please like it if you've reached this point. It kind of supposes that you have enjoyed listening to this. Please also subscribe and share if you can. That would really help to promote long history. I'm not sure how many of these top 10 surprises we've done now. We've done Columbus, we've done Magellan. There was also Cabeza de Vaca's document as well, describing Texas in the 1500s. So if you've enjoyed this particular episode, there's plenty to root out on long history. But above all, I'd like to thank you for listening and goodbye.